0: This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com.
1: Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Today, I sit down with Kosti Hinn to discuss God as healer. Kosti shares his story of growing up in one of the most prominent families in the prosperity gospel movement and how his theology began to shift when his college baseball coach introduced him to the concept of God's sovereignty. We also discuss his newest book, more than a healer. You'll hear Costi speak to questions like, is it always God's will to heal right now? And why God's peace is a fact and not a feeling. If you have questions, comments, or simply want to connect after listening to today's conversation, please send me a direct message on Instagram at graceenoughpodcast underscore amber or an email at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Let's drop into today's conversation. Well, good morning, Costy. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I am thrilled to have our conversation today. Um, I've said a lot recently, I need to start recording as soon as I meet up with people because I think some of the best stuff we say is before I hit the record button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: That is true the way it goes sometimes.
1: <laughs> it is. It's so true. Well, take a moment, introduce yourself, your family, and tell everybody a little bit about what you do before we dive into our discussion today.
0: All right. Well, full name is Kosti and I'm a pastor, and I've written some books, and I love the Bible, so I tend to open it up and teach it to people, and I love people, too. That's important when you're a pastor. I recommend you love people. And so I spend a lot of time with people, our people in particular, and uh, once in a while I'll travel, I call it helping and I'll, I'll go help on certain issues or support other churches or conferences or whatever is needed. And then, um, get back home to my first ministry, which is my family. I've got an amazing wife. We've been married. We just celebrated nine years and oh, we've got, congrats. thank you. We've got four kiddos, uh, ages seven, five three and then 18 months so we're a busy bunch in the- no home. not
1: busy at all <laughs> My yeah not at
0: all and uh, so parenting is big obviously marriage is big in our in our book and we have a, a pretty firm belief that everything else is important but winning at home is the most important mm-hmm. thing especially in ministry where I think the Lord will not necessarily grade me on a curve if I did a great job in the church and everything was awesome out there but at the home I I drop the ball. And so in these early years, especially when the kiddos are young, that's a yeah. big focus. And then I love to write. And so I've written some books and that's one of the ways I try to reach people in different places without always having to leave uh, home and our church. So that's kind of what I do. The last thing I'll add to that is I'm the president and founder of For the Gospel, which is a media resourcing ministry. We kind of took all of the podcasting and videos and articles and different things we were doing and put it in one place put it out for free for people and just said, Hey, here's something that can serve your church and bless you. And, um, and then we're planting a church called the shepherd's house Bible church in Chandler, Arizona, starting in late February of 2022. So that is life in a nutshell, lots of family, lots of Bible people and loving Jesus.
1: Okay. So now Chandler. So how long have you been in that area?
0: I've been in Arizona now for two and a half years. Okay. I, I have seven years prior a wonderful church that I was pastoring at as one of the pastors in orange County, California. That's where I got mm-hmm. saved. It's where I was discipled. It's where I went on staff there. And then they sent me here because the church in the area in Gilbert, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix, about 20 minutes from downtown, um, was growing. They needed some preaching help and some next gen ministry. So mm-hmm. I'm not that old yet. I'm 36 now, <laughs> but I can, I was still cool for a little while, apparently. Um, So I did some next gen ministry like the old guy, but uh, we had fun. It grew. The Lord blessed it numerically. But more importantly, he blessed it spiritually. We dug deep, discipleship, et cetera. And then um, it was time, not only my sending church from California, but the church here understood um, we're in a rapidly growing area. It's exploding in Phoenix, one of the hottest housing markets in the nation right now. And more churches are needed. So we're going to strike out to Chandler about 20 minutes away. Uh, right. and put down roots. And I'm asking the Lord, I know he does whatever he wants and he can send me anywhere and any time. But I, my prayer is, you know, Lord, will you let us grow old here yeah. in Arizona and be with our people? And yeah. um, that's my desire, but we'll see what he does That's for right. now. We're, we're planting a church.
1: That's awesome. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about family. And so as we do that, Tell me, take me back a little bit to your childhood and what was it really like growing up for you in one of the most prominent leaders here in America of the prosperity gospel movement?
0: Yeah, I grew up in a, in what I've described as a mixture between the Royal family and the mafia, you know, lavish kind of aura of the Royal family and high society, high status and the loyalty and strict enforcement of the mafia. We always believed, you know, family first. And no matter what they do, even if they're Mm -hmm. shady or even if there's some things going on, you get your family's back. Blood is thicker than water, and you don't ever uh, turn your back on family. I also believed and wholeheartedly was taught this, but agreed that my family was the most anointed family on planet Earth, that my dad and my uncle and some others were the most anointed men of God on the planet. We were taught that, told that, and genuinely. Believe that as a younger member of the family. Uh, in my family, very Middle Eastern cultural. My mm-hmm. dad's from Jaffa, Israel. They all speak fluent Arabic. Uh, they're Palestinian by their ethnicity, if you will, or their culture, born in Jaffa, Israel. And in Middle Eastern culture, being a firstborn son is very important. So I was the firstborn Kosti in the next generation in the Hinn family. My uncle is Benny Hin, the faith healer that. You know, you YouTube him. You'll kind of see what he's all about. And the tradition is, you name your firstborn son after your father. So my grandfather's name is Costi. and then you have all the Hin boys, which my dad's one of them. My uncle Benny, and they all start having sons. I'm the first one, and they name me Costy after my grandfather. Right. And so there's four of us. There's other Costi Hins, and I'm the oldest, and I'm supposed to be kind of the heir apparent to the family's anointed ministry, which is about healing and the prosperity gospel. And the word of faith movement. Some people will will refer to it as, you know, name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. There's kind of all these funny little names people give it. And the reason is we believe that you can declare anything you want and get it by faith. So mm-hmm. I, just like I might say, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and I'm saved. That's Romans 10 9. Mm-hmm. We also believed you could confess with your mouth a new Bentley, a job promotion, a baby, a bigger house. A Happiness, wealth, health—all of that—and so my heroes in the faith were uh, Kenneth Copeland and Oral Roberts and Paula White, who's still around, and my uncle Benny, of course, and a lot of them. And honestly, Joel Osteen was like a hero of mine. I wanted to be like him, and I thought, man, he—he's even less weird than some of the people that I grew up around. And they used to kind of speak in so tongues, bizarre and to sh- me, <laughs> sh- I, yeah, and and do a lot of stuff, but. Osteen was always so cool and smooth and he got on Oprah and it was like, oh, this is awesome. Look at, we're no longer the weirdos because this is Mm -hmm. what I want to illustrate with that. Also growing up, uh, it wasn't just about our aura and all of the neat things we did and had and all of our power and so-called anointing, but we got a lot of criticism and the criticism Mm -hmm. we got that I observed was from what we would refer to as dead churches. So the Baptists and the Lutherans and the conservative types and the reformed people, it was like, Oh, those are dead churches. They preach the Bible, but they have no Holy spirit, Mm. no power, no anointing. We have the signs and wonders. We've got the authority and we hear from God directly. He gives us revelation and we have an anointing they don't have. So I would look at those people still and wonder, well, maybe if we weren't so weird, they wouldn't criticize us. Or maybe if we didn't just kind of yell out in tongues in mass crowds, like everybody speaking in tongues at the same time, or maybe if we didn't rub olive oil all over people's heads or wave our jackets and knock them all down. And maybe if we didn't do as much weird stuff, they would like us and accept us. And full disclosure, Osteen represented that to me.
1: I Mm. thought, man,
0: he believes like we do, he confesses and declares, but he's so not weird. Like America likes right. him. This is, this is cool. So I, he was one of the heroes of mine. And, um, at the same time, I wanted the power and the wealth and the anointing of my uncle and others. And so growing up that way was a, a blast. I have to be honest with you. We traveled the world yeah. in all of the ways that the flesh desires, private planes, best hotels, best restaurants, everything was, I, I lived like, you know, like I was LeBron James as a kid, just rock star lifestyle wow. and multiple homes, everything to the nines. And so by the time I got to college, I was wearing a $10,000 Brightly watch. I drove a Hummer that was like, you know, something you'd see in the parking lot when the major league baseball players roll into play. Um, I drove a Ferrari at one point to a baseball practice. I had an F430 Ferrari. We, it was just lifestyles, the rich and famous, but all supposedly that was what Jesus wanted us to have and how he wanted us to live to show people like you, of course, the dead Baptist types. Um, That's right. <laughs> this is what you can have. If you just believe like we do listen, give, have enough faith. We got you follow us.
1: Well, so I want to know, um, cause you've said a little bit about, you know, you thought Jesus wanted all those things for you, but Like, what was your life with Jesus like, or was it, I just viewed everybody around me and kind of lived off of their faith?
0: Great question. So this is going to mess people up who really anchor their viewpoint and opinion to, we're all just a bunch of heretics and we don't know the Bible. And we Mm -hmm. just kind of sit around and connive on how to steal from people. Mm -hmm. I knew the Bible. I read the Bible. I memorized verses. I went to Christian schools, private schools. I'll, I'll fast forward when, after I got saved, people used to ask me like within a year or two, I would rattle off verses and kind of go off on tangents and just spit out, you know, this passage, this passage and talk about this, this, that. And people would say, almost like impressed. How do you know the Bible so much? You're like a walking Bible. And this all just in a year or two, it's amazing what God's done. Wow. And they would sort of like compliment me and I would have to stop them and say, I got to be honest with you. It's not like I'm some super saved, superhuman now, and Costigan Mm -hmm. got saved, and now I can just rattle off the Bible because I'm better now than ever. I've been doing this for 27 years. I grew up with the Bible. I just understand it now, and I no longer view Jesus this way, like Mm -hmm. a magic genie, Mm -hmm. like a cosmic banker. Mm -hmm. I just swipe them right with enough faith and enough of my declarations, and I rub them right. I do all the right things and it gives me what I want imagine you and I both reading John 10 10 I memorized it as a kid you know. yeah and you're saying the abundant life is heaven to come and the hope and the fulfillment and satisfaction of Christ where Jesus says this the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly you Amber say that abundant life is about the things that go far beyond materialism yeah and wealth and health and all that. And then I come along, memorize the same verse. And I say, the abundant life, don't you see it? Don't you see? He doesn't want you broke. Mm -hmm. The devil wants you broke. All I did was take the same passage I know, twist it for my own gain. I'll give you one more and we can move on. Uh, Third John 2, where John is greeting the church. And he says, I wish above all that you may prosper and be in good health. Even as thy soul prospereth in the New King James, because that's what I memorized it as a kid. (laughs) And we just sounds better. (laughs) Oh, totally. Even as thy soul prospereth. Yeah, we used to tell people, don't you see? Look at John. But more than that, we would say Jesus. We would we would ignore authorial intent, which just kind of a fancy phrase to say the author's intent of a letter.
1: Mm -hmm. We would
0: take the letter take the words and say, you know, forget what John was saying, forget the context, forget who he is, forget that he's addressing Gaius, his dear beloved in the faith. No, no, we're not going to even look at that. We'll just say Jesus, his greatest desire above all else, he says, we would say Jesus says, is for you to prosper and be in health. He wants you healthy. He wants you wealthy. Mm-hmm. Even as your soul is healthy and wealthy in Jesus, he wants your body and he wants your home and he wants your children and your job and on and on and on and on well when you start studying that context there of that passage you realize john's just giving a standard greeting like if i say hey amber i hope you're doing great i hope your kids are doing well i hope your husband is just awesome and your home is blessed and things are going so well for you uh, i want to talk to you about a few and it's just a greeting it's that's a, right it's how they would do it in the in the east at that time so mm-hmm. um if that helps to kind of frame a little bit, Jesus was whatever I wanted him to be so that I could get what I want.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, I could really dig into that because I want to be like, but wait, I mean, John was a sufferer, like, w- but we won't, we won't. I mean, when you start yes, thinking about yes. John, it was like, oh my gosh, he was on the island. of pa- I mean, ah, Yeah. The and,
0: Amber, Amber, but Solomon was so blessed and he was so rich and God blesses his people. And now I can go that way. And that, it, yeah, it it gets fancy and sticky because <laughs> the goal is like second Peter two. You remember he's warning the church about false teachers. And he says in their greed, they will exploit you. Mm. They, they introduce destructive heresies. They secretly do it. The whole goal is riches and power. But if I added one more layer here, just early on, the power of darkness is at work as Satan yeah. does what he has been trying to do since the garden. When the serpent whispered to Eve, basically, did God really say that? Mm-hmm. No, surely you won't die. Mm-hmm. It's deception at the core, but we also are driving for power and wealth for ourselves
1: that's why I love c s lewis's screw tape letters because the oh, way so I mean all the time I'm like, listen, it's such a thin book. If you've never read it, read it like you you might be intimidated by c s Lewis, but this was not one that needs to intimidate you. It is. Mm-mm. It's just yep. one of the most incredible reads, but again, that's a side note. And so I want to ask, what was it, what happened in your life that began to really expose some of the things in all this stuff that you had grown up believing?
0: I'll give you three categories after all of the little questions I would have had as a teenager. And after seeing people come against us, I had a great excuse for all of it. They were just attacking us like so many attacked Jesus and Paul and the disciples, the devil's coming against us. It's just spiritual warfare. So I dismissed it until I happened to like this thing called baseball, pretty big deal in the States. And I grew up in Canada, but I loved baseball. Hockey was like my first love as a sport. Cause I'm Canadian. Everybody yep. loves hockey, but I played baseball and, I end up in the States and longer story shorter, I end up at Dallas Baptist university, a great D one school playing baseball there. And so now I've got a Baptist coach and he is a disciple making man who is solid in the faith. And he starts leaking in biblical truth along the way while he's coaching. So one day he calls us all up and, um, the categories I'm going to give you are the coach, the girl, and the pastor. So the coach for this, calls us all up there's a there's a scout in the stands it was a scrimmage game and some guys are nervous there were guys that were way better than me on the team they got drafted real high they're playing in the big league some of them still and they uh everyone's a little nervous coach says hey guys listen proverbs 21 1 says the heart of the king is like channels of water in the hands of the lord he turns them wherever he wishes god is sovereign he controls kings he controls scouts and i'm going what in the world is sovereign like what is this guy talking about? Oh. He's in control. He's got your future. Don't worry. Here's what you can control though today. Go out, play the game, have fun, get after it, work hard, but leave the rest in God's hands. He's sovereign. Getting all up tight over a scout isn't going to change anything. Control what you can control and trust the Lord. And I remember thinking in my mind, what in the world is he talking about? Hmm. God is sovereign. I what does this guy know? He I'm I know how to get God to do what I want. I, I, I have enough faith. I'm anointed. I'm blessed. I know the word. He wants me to get drafted. He wants me to be healthy, wealthy. He wants, like, what is this guy talking about? And in my mind, arrogantly as well, I got a $10,000 brightly watch in my locker in college. I have the Hummer that I'm driving like Chrome package, big fat 22s on it. Even my spare tire had a 22. I got TVs in the back. It's just ridiculous in the parking lot in college. And This guy drives a white Toyota Camry. True story. He's a Baptist telling me about, I'm like, dude, I'm the one who's blessed. What do you know? Very arrogant, very much thinking I'm anointed. Yeah. I'm like, whatever. How how do I get on the good side of sovereignty then if that to get drafted, Like, how do you get anything then if God is just sovereign? That doesn't make any sense.
1: Mm. Well,
0: I dismiss it. I move on with my life. But
1: But there's a pebble in your shoe, as Greg Kokel would say.
0: (laughs) Yes. There's a, there's a mine in the minefield. It's under the sand. It's just buried in there. And I hadn't stepped on it yet, but it would come. And so I end up graduating, play baseball. Everything goes well. I'm so thankful that I got to have that experience. And I'm there. Um, finish up at DBU. I meet a girl short time after, and she is this conservative blue collar, like left brain HR type of brain (laughs) who's analytic and very sweet, very quiet, but strong as a bull. I've always described my, she's my wife now. I call her small, but mighty. She's like five, two with a steel spine. So tender though. And she asks very good questions, just good ones. Like, so I got a question, like, how do you afford your Hummer? Like uh at at twenty-three years old and twenty-four. Like, uh, well, you see, and are my, you all my,
1: just friends at this point? And she's asking you this, or you're dating
0: we, we start dating. I meet her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I meet her, I invite her out to dinner. She's like, I'm really busy with school and work. Like, I don't think so. And I was that guy that just ignored, I'm like, All right, what are you doing tomorrow? She's like, like I said, I got school and work. I'm like <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like just the whole deal. So my sit, my now sister-in-law at the time was there when I met Christine and, and asked her out and she interrupts and says, she'll be free on Wednesday. And so my wife at the time, girl, like this girl I met ends up changing her schedule, her shift and, and meets me for a date. And we talk her mom, my now mother-in-law, who I love so dearly, uh, had gone on YouTube and looked up my name and who I was. <laughs> and then, and then found my uncle on there. Cause him, some of her friends were like him. I know a guy named him from California. He's like a crazy faith healer. Check YouTube. So they check YouTube. Well, my mother-in-law kind of warns Christine, like, hey, here's, here's a relative of his. And Christine says, yeah, I, I think I'm just going to judge this guy for him and, and just get to know Costi for Costi. He seems a little different. We'll see. So she's at the time working at TGI Fridays, putting herself through school at Azusa Pacific and getting to know God. That's the way she described Mm. um, her faith at the time. And I'm like, this is like a really level-headed girl. Um, For a little while, she drove this. This just kind of gives you an example of the way she was, how different she drove this lifted sort of Ford Ranger she had, and then she sells it and gets a Yaris because it's good on gas and cheap. Totally different from
1: you. (laughs)
0: I'm like I drive a Hummer. I'm, I burn gas like it's going out of style. I don't ever really work. I I, to travel with my family and made money from the prosperity. We just get offerings. It's, it's mm. really different. And she asks great questions, but eventually there's pressure on her to keep dating me, to be able to marry me, to speak in tongues. She's got to speak in tongues to be marked as spirit filled and saved. That's the way that we taught.
1: And that's and, all the pressure from your side of the family.
0: Oh, beyond. And she's mm-hmm. got to go to my uncle's service. And I mean, there's, there's still footage on YouTube. I won't tell you where, if you find it, I'll send you a free book if you're listening and you find the footage. There is footage of her at one of my uncle's crusades on YouTube, like with her hands raised and she's singing. she she had to go to these things and like get the anointing and, and fall over their aura. My family believed that there needed to be a, a woman coming into my life that was fully bought in and the Mm. heritage had to be there. And Christine was just different. She thought in very black and white terms, she read the Bible. If you said something that was squirrely and not biblical, she's like, well, that doesn't make sense. So we won't do that. That's false. This is true. And God wired her that way. Thank the Mm. Lord. She's got a lot of discernment. So questions start. And you know what happens when a pretty girl you're dating (laughs) <laughs> asks questions and then all of a sudden you're told you can't marry her. if She doesn't speak in tongues. Well, you, mm. and, and then if she can't speak in tongues, like she was trying, she would go places and stand at the altar and say like, bah, 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 like trying to get it because they would say, just open up your lips. Just, just, just wow. say whatever comes to mind. They would coach. This happens all the time in some of these more extreme circles. They would coach tongues at the altar and wow. she wasn't getting it. So we opened the Bible wow. one day looking for answers. First Corinthians 1230. Paul is being rhetorical. He says, basically, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in Mm -hmm. tongues? Do all have gifts of interpretation of that? Like not all do they? It's, he's basically saying like, there's a variety of gifts. We all have a variety of gifts and you don't do everything. You don't have to be a healer, a tongue talker, a prophet and a tongue interpreter. And then a word of knowledge person, like we're going to have a, a diverse mixture of gifts while well, we start tearing up, like you're off the hook. This is crazy. Wow. Well, what does that do? It's another crack in the dam, That's just right. like sovereignty, just like the questions, mm-hmm. just like the dead Baptists being really nice and loving all of a sudden, though. And I'm thinking these people aren't that crazy. They're not that dry and dead. They're really loving and filled with the spirit, it seems. Now, this gal asks questions. So, all those cracks in the dam whittle away the Assurance I had that I was a part of the lineage of faith and everybody in the body of Christ would follow us. Like we were some apostolic family. Well, the coach, the girl, and then the pastor, we end up splitting off from my family, not fully knowing what we're doing, except saying, I think we need to get away from some of this. And so we end up in California. I become a youth pastor at a church that's very, it's like a seeker driven church, super entertainment type. Like, and we're, it's a church plant.
1: Okay, but, pause for a second. So okay. you all get married. Yeah, we without, get married this... without the full blessing of your family, I'm assuming.
0: Yes and no. So um, okay. the to keep the, the longer story sorry. Not, now not I'm like, oh God. gosh, I'm vested.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. fully vested I, now.
0: <laughs> that's great. Yes, I've drawn you in, and now I have, I'm gonna that's drop right. you off the cliff on it. So um, basically we have a confrontation with my family, and there's people prophesying in my family. I won't name them. They are saying that she's not from God. She's going to ruin my anointing and I better not marry her. Like it, it goes deep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's hard.
0: I basically say I'm going for this girl. I'm going to marry her. So you guys can like it or lump it. Like kind of the whole confrontation happens. They figure, okay, if we can't, if we can't beat her. Like let's join her. Let's try to fix her. So that's when okay. they bring her to services. And she's like, they're like, all right, we've got to work with this one. You know, Costi's given us a a, a hard line. Cur- that's we, right. We, yeah, we got to try to shape it a little. If he's going to keep this one, fine. Well, it just doesn't work. Yeah. We jet the Lord opens a door for friends of ours in California were planting a church who we knew. Um, and so we were back and forth from Canada to California. If that's complicated, let me just simplify it. We have multi million dollar homes at both places, we go wherever we want. So yeah. Um, you know, we're up in Canada. My parents have a church there. I'm helping out there. Christine comes up and lives in their house in like the West Wing, like her own suite area, like separate This picture. Oh, so crazy. It's everything, <laughs> totally. It's everything you would think of. Um, and yeah, so that is the split that the Lord used yeah. to get us out on our own. We get married on a Friday. We had been introduced on a Sunday, same week, October 7th and October 12th in 2012 at the seeker-driven church plant. Mm. But I'll tell you what, for all the, the flack that people give the seeker-driven church, me included, we don't want to be a bunch of consumers and just doing a bunch yeah. of gimmicks to get people in the church. I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't some crazy prosperity gospel
1: mm-hmm. heretical
0: thing. And it wasn't that they we were just like, crazy, wild, we're going to save everyone. We just got to get them here. So let's do crazy stuff to get them in and then we'll give them Jesus. And it, 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 we had the best of intentions and a boatload of ignorance. And so <laughs> we we're going, well, what happens is our lead pastor, who's one of my best friends and Anthony Wood, he's a contributor for the gospel, still a mentor in my life. He's the lead planter. And comes to the end of, of himself. He's just tired of the gimmicks to Mm -hmm. get people to come. And it's growing. And he's like, I just want to go through the Bible. I just want God's word. I, and so the, he, he says, we're going to just go through the book of John. And I'm looking at him like, okay, what, where's the hook? Where's the cool branding? Like, what, what do you mean to go through John? Um, he goes, yeah, we're, um, we're going to go through John. whatever. He said, it's called expository preaching. We're going to go verse by verse. It's this thing that, you know, it helps people go deeper, like whatever, as long as they keep coming, who cares? So we go through John. He sends me my assignment. I'm John five, one through 17, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. (laughs) I'm like, okay, for all my differences. And that's sovereignty. (laughs) Oh yeah. There you go. I'm like, for all the differences with my family, I I, I got healing nailed. Like, I'll preach this thing and nail it. Well, he gives me a commentary, throws it at me. And it's by um, a guy named John MacArthur. who I, I don't know who he is. I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, that's fine. And he goes, hey, this commentary, this guy wrote some commentaries. It's pretty biblical. He's pretty, you know, kind of by the book, line by line type thing. in these burgundy commentaries. He said, this will help keep the train on the tracks if you have any trouble. He said, I, I haven't read through it. But um, apparently, he's pretty good. So we had gotten some books given from an older pastor. We're using them. That happens to be one by J. Mack. So I start studying the passage and I had learned some basics of Bible study at this point. And I see Jesus heals one man out of a multitude and I circle it. I'm like, okay, that's weird. It was, I was using a, a method called Oika observation, interpretation, mm-hmm. correlation, application and observation. I'm like, okay, that's, things are sticking out that i'd never noticed one man is who he heals okay like that's weird i always thought that it's always god's will to heal everybody Mm. Uh, mm, that's interesting let's we're going to go back to that one and then he heals the man immediately and i remember john in my nasb the word immediately is there and i remember thinking okay and flooding my mind is thoughts of no jacket, no crusade, no music, no offering, no mm-hmm. fanfare, no three hours of hallelujah and all this stuff. But like none of that. It's like we, this guy just immediately, and he picks up his pallet and walks. And I'm like, all right, there's something there. Then um, the I've seen like the angel stirs the water and he's a complainer. And I'm like, he's complaining. What, what, what is he doing complaining? And he and Jesus still healed him. I'm kind of like, Oh, that's interesting. I, we need to talk about that too. And then the Pharisees come and say, who told you, you could pick up your pallet and walk. It's the Sabbath. What are you doing? And he says, the man who healed me told me then John records for, he did not know who Jesus was for Jesus had slipped away. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Mm. He doesn't know who Jesus is. How did he have enough faith to get healed? If he doesn't know who Jesus is, Commentary time. Let's see what this you know, Burgundy thing's got for me. I open the commentary, and having no understanding of who John MacArthur was or what his thoughts were on faith healers and the prosperity gospel, I read through, and he just tees off. He says, "Therein lies the cruel," or he says, "This is an example of Jesus's sovereign healing power in action." <laughs> I'm like, "Whoa, there's the sovereignty <laughs> thing again," and. Honestly, I remember what coach talked about in that moment. It's like a movie montage. It floods in my head. And then he says, therein lies the, the, the cruelest lie of faith healers today, that the people they fail to heal, if I'm quoting it right, I, I pretty much paraphrasing a close quote are guilty of negative confession, unbelief, not enough. Like he just goes off and I'm going, oh my goodness. Mm. That's what I believed. You gotta be kidding me. I start crying. Everything makes sense. All the different critiques, questions, thoughts, excuses, challenges, all of it. Right at that moment, I talk about the cracks in the dam. They burst open Mm -hmm. and the thing just floods in. And God, I believe, saved me in that moment. I came to a full understanding of the true gospel. But more than that, a full understanding of who God is, not just the message of the gospel about, oh, you can go to heaven if you this, this, this. I mean, who God is and who I am. He is sovereign and in control. It's His glory that I live for. So I repented full on in my office. I told the Lord, I'm sorry for preaching and believing false things about you. I vow to preach the true gospel. I vow to preach the truth, et cetera. Ran over to my pastor's office, kicked the door in, told them what was happening. He's laughing and, you know, just in, in, in awe of God. And, and yet at the same time, like, Oh, this is what God does. And apparently it had been happening to him too, with some things. And so, wow. uh, I lose my title. i be obviously, cause I was now a new convert. I became pastor in training and I went to seminary and I shut my mouth for three to four years and mm-hmm. served in our church and did everything from children's ministry to whatever the elders told me. Wow. And that, that was the journey for me. Yeah. And then now obviously, you know, seminary and just getting to write and getting to help on these issues a little bit is, is fine, but ultimately I'm a local church guy and a pastor. Ugh. So that's how I came out of all that. And it's, I always try to tell it fast, but there's certain details I always want to include. Yeah. And that's, that's how God did it.
1: Wow. I mean, again, there's just so, I have so many questions. <laughs> But I also am like, we can't talk for four hours. (laughs) So the thing is, is that you have recently written more than a healer. And you wrote that because not only did your whole life change as a result of these encounters, but your belief that Jesus was more than a healer was truly tested. And it was tested when your son was diagnosed with cancer. And so you write, now we're going to live what we've been preaching For years, we'd been telling others that God is still good, even when things in life are not. So walk through that experience for me a little bit and how that further confirmed your belief that Jesus is more than healer and more than what you had believed about him growing up.
0: I uh, was several years now out of that whole movement, and uh, we've got. We're, we were having our third child. We have our son Timothy, and he's three months old. Gets diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And I remember, you know, telling my wife two things: we're not going to get out of this life unscathed. Mm-hmm. And she was crying that night, as was I. And she just nodded, and I said, "Now we're going to live what we've been preaching." And um, for us, it it was just the reality of what we had come to understand in Scripture that Christians are going to go through trials, that there is going to be pain, that yes, there'll be seasons where we're healthy. And if you become wealthy, what a blessing, you know, wealth isn't a sin. It's a responsibility. And God may Mm -hmm. bless people with wealth and they can serve the Lord and, and further gospel work with it. And uh, first Timothy six, 17 to 19, Paul says uh, to instruct the rich, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. And then he says, God's given us all things to enjoy. You're, you're allowed to enjoy life and and enjoy things in life. You know, it's nothing wrong with having stuff as long as stuff doesn't have you kind of Mm -hmm. like But there's this whole other side to, oh, it's going awesome, and God is good because things are good, and I got a house, and we had a baby, and we're, we're doing well financially. Well, we came to understand, of course, God is good all the time because it's who he is. It's part of his nature and his character. So even when things are bad, he's good. Well, it's easy to say when everything's good. And I'll, I'll be honest, when it's the rah-rah, like Kostihan got saved out of the prosperity gospel, whoop, whoop. I wrote a first book called God Greed in the Prosperity Gospel and tell the story and teach against this stuff and teach for the true gospel. And all that, to be honest, is easy. People would say, oh, it must have been so hard. I'm like, no, we, we got Jesus. I sleep great at night now. I'm not a, a heretical thief. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm doing great. I'm glad. I, I don't, I'd rather have nothing as long as I'm walking in truth and mm. I some integrity where it got to be real, I think, is I get a kid with cancer and people from that world say, oh, and even family, well, what do you expect? You touched the Lord's anointed. You spoke out against the Lord's anointed and we warned you, you'd be judged. And one even suggested, not only would it been God's judgment to, to give you cancer, costly, but man, he, mm. he actually bypassed you and judged you more because you get to watch your son suffer. The idea that God is suddenly punishing me for doing what Paul said to do, which is mark false teachers and Mm -hmm. equip and edify the church is, is crazy. But also it it shows that there's so many people that don't understand their God and they don't understand suffering and trials. And so it was this neat thing. Um, We pray for healing because I want my son healed. And the Lord has been gracious in that regard, but he was gracious the day of the diagnosis. And he's been kind to us in that he has stayed uh, Timothy's situation where the doctors want it to be, but he was kind to us when we got the diagnosis, and yeah. he has been good in the sense that Timothy is doing well, but he was good when we were in the waiting room and didn't know if it was going to be steroid cream, oral steroid, or chemo. He's been good and he is good, mm-hmm. and so the the book came mm-hmm. out of the cry of our hearts that. Jesus is a healer, and that's chapter one, but he's so much more, and I have peace, and I have hope, and you have peace, and you have hope, because he's savior, and because he's good, because he is justice, and there's a justice coming that far outweighs any justice that we seek here on earth, and he is sovereign, and so I, I wanted that to be in a book, not just the first one about the story, and about prosperity gospel teaching, and about how to reach people in that movement. But this was the book that I wanted to write about Jesus, not the Jesus that everybody wants, but the Jesus I believe, and I think we believe scripture teaches everybody needs. That's my heart.
1: Yeah. Well, and so my question too is when you've walked through these things and then you, you know, this other side of prosperity gospel, I guess I just want to clarify, like when people aren't healed, what would they say? Like they just don't have enough faith or they're not favored by God.
0: Yeah, there's several responses. There's a spectrum. So you'll have, you, you just need to have more faith. You just need to believe. There's another one. You just need to accept what Jesus has already bought and paid for in the atonement on the cross. He already bought your healing. You just need to accept it. It's like a gift sitting there right on the table of the cash register at the store. And it's already there. It's been paid for and done. You just need to pick it up. And take it with you, receive your healing by faith in Jesus name. And that, that doesn't work because that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Well, if somebody does get healed, or maybe the doctors do some surgery or prescribe a medication or something helps
1: Mm -hmm. um,
0: their situation at the same time, they're, you know, they're believing God for it. A lot of people will say, yeah, look, I just believed and it happened. Well, we got to be honest to other factors as well. Did God use maybe the medical advice of your doctor? Yeah, he could have. Did God use a surgery? Yes. Did God work in a beautiful way in your body? Totally. But we need to be very careful turning all this into a formula, Mm -hmm. which says, man, it happened to me because I prayed and I believed and God's good. Guess what? He'll do it for you, Amber. Mm -hmm. Well, hold on a minute. Because if Solomon would have told everyone, Hey, all you got to do is ask for wisdom and riches. He did it for me. Look at my life. You, I, you could ask for wisdom and riches all you want. Not everyone lived like Solomon. Or Job, who was righteous and obedient, but God chooses to use his life as an example of when even the good and the righteous and the rich suffer. But then you've got Paul, and you've got Trophimus being left sick at Miletus there at the end of 2 Timothy. And you got, you got know, John, who's the only apostle, by the way, who, yes. who did not, who did not get martyred, martyred. but he's, but he still, I always describe, you know, he still was withering away on Patmos. Yeah. And then like, it wasn't like retirement at lazy green acres with his country club membership. And he's just cruising because he was a follower of Jesus. He would, he watched everybody die and then watched mm-hmm. his own people suffer and himself suffered. The Lord just let him live. And so everybody who follows Jesus is going to be persecuted and suffer at mm-hmm. some degree. Paul makes that clear but also trials are going to befall our life. Mm. And I believe our witness is greatest, not when everything is going perfectly. Our witness yeah. has the potential to be greater than it ever can be when we suffer and are enduring trials, but we still look to Christ because that is weird. People look and go, mm-hmm. what in the world are you so happy about? How, how do you have joy? Then we point to Jesus Who's an otherworldly strength, right. a supernatural joy, a supernatural peace? And the last thing I'll add would be 2 Corinthians 12:7, when Paul is asking for that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, to be right. removed. And God responds, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. God loves to put himself on display mm-hmm. and his strength through our weakness. So it's not a A wish that we all just suffer and get cancer. I'm not speaking that over people. If they get a little weird about it, I'm just saying bottom line, don't think that God's good is always your definition of good. Mm -hmm. We need to understand he's working in the Valley and he's working on the mountaintop.
1: That's right. Amen to that. Well, and that's the thing that I love about this book that you've written because you don't just share your story you also really answer some pretty tough questions that um, I think a lot of people have and either choose to ask and find a lot of hope in that, or they ask and they get a really, uh, for lack of better words, crappy answer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no. or just not truth, right? And Totally so,
0: unbiblical. Oh,
1: garbage, that's right. And so two of the really tough questions that you present truths to is why do people get sick and is it always God's will to heal right away? And so flesh that out for us a bit.
0: I, um, this is, I just preached this on Sunday night at a church in North Carolina, right? Not far from where you are. And, and it was a joy because I, I wanted it to be not just, you know, my story and, and, and fun facts about what God has done. And that's all great. We love to give Him glory with our story, but, um, why do people get sick? We need talking points for this. And then is it always God's will to heal right now? We need talking points for this. And so just a a couple, even off the top of my head. Um, First, we live in a broken world. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and now it's not perfect. And you look at the results of the curse, death, the worst one, but pain and childbirth is one of the results. And so, you know, whenever you have a baby and, You haven't had your epidural yet, or if you're not into epidurals, you know, you can thank Eve, original sin. And Adam is the reason that we got to work and toil the soil to get produce, to to produce anything from it. And obviously in the garden of Eden, everything was perfect. There was no sickness. Uh, Childbirth would have been easy. Uh, Obviously the fruit and the land came forth and just gave us what we needed. And so you have all those realities. Well, there would have been no sin and no brokenness and no sickness and no death. So original sin has given birth to, so, so why do people get sick? Not because God is big and mean and unfair, not because, um, you know, who cares and life is this, or you did this, or you did that. We got to be real careful. Sometimes mm-hmm. people just get sick. Good people, godly people get sick because we're in a broken, fallen world. Somebody asked once uh, a theologian, uh, why do good things or why do bad things happen to good people? And his response was, you know, that only happened once and he volunteered like it was mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. that that is the only good person who something mm-hmm. bad ever happened. None of us are good. We're all sinners and we all need the Lord. Another one would be um, you have the element of behaviors or our own actions that invite ailments into our life. So it's not always, oh, well, we're in a broken world. That's right. Whatever. That's maybe we eat really bad all the time and we get mm-hmm. heart disease, or maybe we drink a lot of alcohol, like overconsumption, and we're getting drunk all the time, and we're just or we smoking cigarettes all. The, like you could experience things, and that God's not punishing you, and we also should be careful. God's not taking you through a trial. Trials are things that befall you, not self-inflicted consequences. Like if I get a speeding ticket today because I'm, you know, jetting around Gilbert, and then I'm like Amber. Oh, I just really going through it. You know, I got a $350 ticket today. God's really pressing me and sanctifying me. No, he's not. I got a ticket because I broke the law. That's not trial and suffering. That is my self-inflicted consequence. Mm -hmm. Well, there are some things that we experience because of our own actions. There's also the reality that, you know, like John 9, when Jesus heals the blind man and the disciples are like, hey, what sin did his mother and father commit? And he goes, no, no, no. It's so that I would be glorified. Sometimes Jesus allows things in our life so he can solve them, correct them and put himself on display mm. and bring himself glory. And then also, Paul, remember when he's telling the church at Corinth to be careful the way they take communion? And he says to them that the, if you take this unworthily, that's the reason some of you are weak or sick or asleep. He's saying dead. There are examples in the Bible of our sin leading to consequences, and I, I think of Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know that God is killing people for lying about their offerings these days as much, but there's an example, at least in the character of God in that moment in acts, I can look at that and say that that happened. Right. Uh, they lied to the spirit of God. They, yeah. they acted like they gave more, but they didn't. And they dropped dead back to back husband and wife. So sometimes we're sick or dead or things happen because of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, At the same time, I always want to encourage people. You can't take these and just say, well, it has to be that. Oh, that's what it is for sure. We don't know. That's right. And we want to take great care. But the last thing I'd say on that is, can God receive glory through all of it? Yes. And that will bother some people to say, how can God be glorified through sickness? What are you talking about? Like he wants that to happen. Look, God is not the origin of evil. He is not the origin of sickness, but since he is sovereign, And he is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. Guess what? He can take anything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he can turn it out for good purposes. We've seen that in hospital waiting rooms, getting to meet people, pray with people. We've seen that. Just, I I talked to a nurse before and shared Christ. I never would have been in there with her if I didn't have a kid with cancer. Uh, Mm. My wife has encouraged people in waiting rooms whose situations are far beyond ours. She never would have been there if it wasn't for Timothy's cancer, and we have gotten to encourage other people and even be encouraged by other people because of his cancer. So something bad still can be used by God to produce something good. And if anything, I wrote a book and I got to encourage people Mm. and I got to talk about Jesus and I got to point people to his hope and his power and his goodness and his love. So yeah, even in the midst of cancer, good things can come. And I want to maintain that perspective and encourage people to that perspective.
1: Well, and this idea with, um, the prosperity gospel and just how it is always God's will to heal. What do you say to that?
0: I say that there is a lot of examples in the Bible in which God does heal. And there's a lot of examples in the Bible in which God does not heal.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be our it, guide. It,
0: it, yeah, it. I can't turn it into a formula and say, well, it's this, this, that. I can say this. In the end, the book of Revelation describes a moment where there's no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain. Jesus conquers the final enemy, death. So I know that the atonement, the cross, what Jesus died for and bought, does have a bit of a now but not yet promise Mm -hmm. in this. I am guaranteed eternal life as a believer, I am guaranteed a glorified body, 1 Corinthians 15, as a believer. I am guaranteed treasure in heaven, Matthew 621, because we give to the Lord's work and you are storing up treasure in heaven. Mm -hmm. I'm also guaranteed no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. Okay. I'm not in eternal life yet. I got to die. I'm not getting all my treasure right now. There's a whole lot up there. I would hope got to die to get that.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm
0: definitely not in a glorified body because I got to go to a lunch meeting today and probably (laughs) eat a salad so that my jeans still fit. And- And I don't have guaranteed total healing all the time. And even faith healers wear glasses, get cancer, have to have heart disease from their doctors and die. So I, I look at that and go, well, is it always God's will to heal right now? No. And then here's the big thing. Jesus modeled how to pray. Because that's what people say. Well, then how do I pray for healing then? In Well, Luke 22, 42. Jesus says, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Even going to the cross, he's showing a moment of of his humanity. If possible, let this cup pass with the cup of wrath that he's about to drink Mm -hmm. on the cross, taking our sin and punishment and pain. And then what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. In the Lord's prayer, what? Your kingdom come, Mm -hmm. your will be be done. And some faith healers will take that and say, well, yeah, and then the next line, on earth as it is in heaven, how is it in heaven? There's no sickness. He's just saying that God's decreed will, God's will that is unfolding is what we're to pray for to occur. I believe that Jesus is going to come back one day. Well, he's not back yet. Mm -hmm. So there's just realities that are now but not yet to give the Christian hope. And when you read the letter of First Peter, great one to read if you're looking for the next book to study and you're listening to this, it's all about. Now, you are a resident foreigner. You're an alien. You're just passing through, a sojourner. You're heading home. That's right. And Peter tells people they're not going to have it all now. He tells suffering Christians what you got coming is way better than your mm-hmm. best life now. So live for that. That's what I would say regarding God's will and healing.
1: You also go on and you write the chapter about peace and something that you you know say is God's peace is a fact. It is not mm. a feeling. And I love the whole chapter because we base a lot of things on feelings nowadays Um, and we need to know those feelings emotions are real and they need to not be ignored totally but his piece is a fact and so why is it so so important to know believe and really trust that statement
0: well because emotions are going to happen often and they're going to happen heavy and they're going to deter the mind and they're going to get distracted. And spiritual warfare is really a battle for your mind. If Mm -hmm. people are influenced in what they think, then they're going to be influenced in what they believe. If they're influenced in what they believe, they're going to be influenced in how they behave. So why do we want to go for the mind? Well, that's the the epicenter of peace. Yeah. I don't trust my feelings. Mm -hmm. I know that. Funny example, when you haven't had your coffee in the morning, if you're a coffee drinker, you don't trust your feelings because you need your coffee. And people will say, I haven't had my coffee yet. I can't function. You know that people get emotional. They get upset. Even behavioral like scientists have proven logically what the Bible has already taught us, which is when you get angry, your IQ drops. So the more mad you get, the dumber you become, just to put it bluntly, which is why when we have marital disagreement at times, you ever you know, experience one of this you know, situation, no, we don't, where,
1: my husband and I don't fight.
0: <laughs> oh, never, never. So, so you guys do, you know, you know, those people though, those one, those, right. those other people who fight, you know, what happens in your, your spouse is telling you like, do you realize you are not making any sense right now? Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh yes, I am. And I, this, and I think this, and I feel like they're just like, okay, when you calm down crazy, I love you. But when you calm down, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. We need to, we need to dial it back. Cause right now emotions are running high. Oh, you think it's just my emotions? Oh, it's not my emotions. I'm, and it, people do that. You end up mm-hmm. in marriage counseling and pastors and everyone alike kind of have to dial through this. Why? Cause when we get fired up, yeah, our logic and our IQ drop. So same thing when I start getting anxious and when I start getting mm. angry and I start getting depressed, I start holding to that rope really tight. My logic is going down. What I know is being infiltrated by what I feel. So feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. Feelings are what they are. And yeah. what we need to do is we need to overcome fear with what we know. This is why I tell people to read their Bible. This is why I want them to internalize God's word. Uh, one of the great passages that we can go to for instruction on this is Paul in Philippians 4, where he says, be anxious for nothing. But and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what's the result in verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in verse eight, verse nine, he says, finally, brethren, whatever is pure, whatever is right, he tells you what to think about dwell on what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Spiritual warfare is a battle for the mind because the enemy is going to target that area yeah. to try to get your feelings and your thoughts to marry, especially when your feelings are taking you down into the dumpster. Yeah. So when Paul says to take every thought captive and bring it into subjection under the knowledge of God to the church at Corinth, who was going through all sorts of crazy stuff, why do... We think that he goes for the mind and the thought life. Well, because that's the epicenter of all that we do and think and feel. So my hope, my encouragement is that people find peace, not as a feeling, but as a knowing. What do you know about God? So even in tears and even in moments of anxiety and even in a moment of depression and a moment of hopelessness, you can say, God, I don't feel like this is true. I don't feel like this is good. I don't feel like anything is going my way. I don't even feel like anyone understands me, but I know you're good. And I know you can use this for your glory. And I know I'm not the only one going through this. And I know I'm selfish right now. And I know I'm thinking about me and I know, I know, I know, but this is how I feel. Please help me. I know your word says this. So I'm going to, you just right there. You go to what you know, and you fight the good fight of faith.
1: Well, and this is why I say spiritual discipline, spiritual practices are absolutely vital to the Christian walk because we do what we practice. And so I've encouraged people so many times because daily gratitude really did change my life. And I'm not just, I mean, I think any type of gratitude will change your life, but I mean, thanking God for things. But when I started working through, The Philippians passage and really learning what is in my life that's pure Mm. I mean because we're taught a lot of times because we we in and of ourselves are not good but there are pure things that we can see and know for even the moment holding a newborn baby that is pure and those kinds of things and you start working through what really is lovely what really is admirable if you can identify those things I've learned that I'm still faced with anxious thoughts, depression, and stuff of that nature, mm. but I can turn that around so much faster. You don't have to stay in the pit if you mm. already have habits in place that point you back towards practicing gratitude or whatever practices it may be.
0: Amen. Yeah, spiritual discipline is essential for that. People kind of make it about, you know, you need to do this and do this and do this just for no reason, just because that's well, that's what a Christian does. No, these are you're loading up the toolbox.
1: That's right.
0: And you're loading up on your armor and you're loading up your your ammo, spiritually speaking, for the battle, for Mm -hmm. the the fight, for the moment when things crumble and, and you need to to build it back. What do you build on? Well, the word of God. That's the whole point. And I'll, I use the illustration at times of a well is what you fill up Mm -hmm. is what's going to pour out. And so fill, fill the well, fill the mind, fill the heart in the good times when you're on the mountain. And that way, when you hit the valley and you go into the desert, if you will, the wilderness experience, so to speak, you're going to draw from that. Yeah. And it is so so vital. That's the why of spiritual discipline.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's close with this. We've talked a little bit about God works all things together for good. It's biblical. We know that. But wow, does that mantra make a really poor uh, sentence to throw out on someone who is suffering? And so what is a different approach than just looking at people and saying, oh, God works all things together for good?
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of kind of know, know the moment. Or in in baseball, we used to say have a feel. And what mm-hmm. what coach was saying is like have a feel, have a feel for the moment. What he was referring to was usually one of the players, you know, coming in the dugout goofing around, or it's it's like you know two two in the bottom of the ninth, and guys are jaw jacking down at the end of the dugout, or a guy's you know goofing around in the in the on deck circle. It's like have a feel, like have a feel for the moment. This is serious. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me right now? Um, well, same idea. Have a feel for the moment. Your friend is broken and hurting. They don't need your Romans 828 yet. There's a time for that, mm-hmm. sure. But they need your Romans 15, mourn with those who mourn.
1: Just Amen.
0: sit next to them. Be like Job's friends before they were blaming him and wondering. <laughs> I was gonna he say, wait a minute. <laughs> Remember, they just sat silently with him in the ash heap. You don't need to come with all your wisdom and one-liners and all that stuff. Just just be. Yeah. One of the one of the kindest things that someone did for us when we first got the diagnosis is we, we went, we had pizza. I'll never forget. We ate pizza. We just sat, they prayed for us and gave us a book and it was Randy Alcorn. If God is good. And it was, mm-hmm. and, and they just said, Hey, it's, you know, this, if this helps as, as kind of a textbook for your suffering, uh, may the Lord use it but we just, we just want, you know, we love you guys. We're with you. Yeah. We're with you all the way. That's all these, we're just, we're just with you. We love you guys. I want you to know we're with you. These were the closest people to us. Yeah. They did not throw Romans eight twenty eight at us. It yeah. was, we're with you. We're with you all the way.
1: Yeah.
0: That was it. And you know what? That's all I really wanted and needed. When I got in the car with my wife and, and the kiddos that night and we drove back home We had a book that we could slowly sift through over time and and get some encouragement and like daily devotions at our own pace Mm -hmm. and dig in to the questions we might have about suffering. We also had friends that, you know, we're with you Mm -hmm. that that's book volumes. Yeah. So my encouragement to people is don't try too hard to say all the right things. Less is more, just be with them. Sometimes people, don't want to talk about it. They just want to go for a coffee. And sometimes you drop off a DoorDash and you just say, hey, I know I know, you guys aren't big on going out right now and haven't been able to do much date night or hang out. Um, you know, have an after hours date night on us in the living room. Um, or if you need anything else, let us know we're here. Like just simple, simple yeah. little gestures that aren't like Romans eight twenty eight. It's <laughs> no, my kid might die in, in a year. Yeah. Um, not feeling like Romans eight twenty eight. Can I just get some Romans fifteen and and maybe somebody just says we love you, we're with you, because yeah. mm. I I read the Bible too. I I know all the Awana verses. I am good, thank you. Just walk with me, be my friend. I just need somebody to sit here with me. So ah,
1: oh, so yeah. true. A hug and a meal will go a long way in prayers. That's what I am have learned as I've. Walked through it a few times with people. And so, Kosti, thank you so much. Um, People want to get your book. What's your website?
0: Uh, So, forthegospel.org is for our resources. And if you want to follow our ministry and support what's going on there, that's great. Um, Best thing people can do to get the book is get it through Amazon or Christianbook.com. Full disclosure, I've learned this now as an author. (laughs) Um, If you go through, like Amazon or these places and you you get the book through there and you'll leave a review it helps with the algorithms and it'll push the book into more visibility which right now on the book of on the topic of healing it's like kind of a lot of weird well a lot of blasphemous heretical weird <sighs> stuff that that ends up there cuz it's the sort of cultural junk um, mm-hmm. so if people are willing to order through amazon or christianbook.com and if the book blesses you drop a review right away. Awesome. That helps the book with exposure. And so you've got, you know, heresy on healing, and then you'll have more than a healer and then let the Holy Spirit, you, you help That's people right. and convict them. That'd please, be great. Please,
1: please go do that. We need that. Well, Kosti, thanks so much for all that you're doing and for being here today.
0: Grateful. Keep up the great work, Amber.
1: Thank you for listening to the Grace of podcast.
0: Tune in next time!